Hi, I'm Rachel O'Mara, author of Pause, harnessing the life-changing power of giving yourself a break. I'm excited that you're here today and joining me on the Pausecast, where I interview thought leaders in the world of raising our consciousness, emotional intelligence, and helping us really reach our potential. For more information, you can go to my website, rachelomara.com, and download my free guidebook, How to Turn Burnout into Thriving at Work. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining today on the podcast. I'm your host, Rachel O'Mara, and today I am so honored to have Dr. Richie Davidson joining us today from uh, the University of Madison, of, of Wisconsin-Madison, and, and the founder and director of the Center for Healthy Minds. Hi, Dr. Richard Davidson. How are you today? I'm good, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being being with us today. And if you are not familiar with Richie's work, let me read a little bit of updates and, and background so that you can just have a little context here and what we're going to get into today and in, in, in the neuroscience and fascinating studies and, and work that, that Dr. Davidson is in. Richie, you and I met a couple of years ago when you came to Google for your Altered Traits talk, so it's been great to talk to you now. Dr. Davidson is best known for his groundbreaking work studying emotion and the brain. You've also been a uh, fan and confidant and friend of Dalai Lama, and I know he's influenced your work a lot. You also were the founder, like I mentioned, for the Center of Healthy Minds. So I want to I want to get into that as well. I know you're working on a lot of good stuff there uh, regarding well-being and how the brain is affected with things like being more with attention training and mindfulness. You can definitely talk more about that. I'm super excited to to learn more about that. And uh, you've been on great international stages like the World Economic Forum, and you serve on the Global Council of Mental Health. You're even, I didn't know this, the 100 most influential people in the world in 2006 by Time Magazine. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, so I mentioned Altered Traits. That's your most recent work. I know you co-authored that with Dr. Dan Goldman. What I wanted to invite you to do is to kick us off on a guided pause in whatever way that works for you. Certainly happy to do that. For this guided pause for listeners, uh, please find a comfortable, uh, upright position uh, where you can... Uh, Be grounded, Uh, feel your feet on the floor, ideally, and rest with an upright spine, not too loose, not too tight, and gently close your eyes, and simply bring awareness into your body. Notice whatever may be arising, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And spend a few moments recognizing that when we engage in these kinds of practices, we can see that they're beneficial not only for ourselves, but for all the other people 
that we connect with both directly and indirectly. And so in a very real sense, engaging in practices to calm our mind and open our heart are acts of generosity. For all of those we touch. Let's spend a few moments now bringing into our mind and our heart one or two people that are important to us in our daily life. It may be our spouse, it may be our children, it may be our coworkers, it may be a caregiver, whoever it might be. But bring into our mind and our heart someone who has been helpful and beneficial. And spend a few moments simply recognizing and appreciating all that they have done for us. And recognizing that our lives are so entwined and interconnected with those of others. And simply allowing this sense of appreciation to emerge in recognition of all that these others contribute to our life and to our well being. And sending wishes of happiness and well being to these people in return. as a way of expressing our appreciation. And we can use a simple phrase like, may you enjoy happiness and the causes of happiness. May you be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. And then we can simply rest And notice whatever sensations, feelings, thoughts may have arisen. And we can open our eyes now and come back to the podcast. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much for guiding us in that. And I know I feel very different as a result. And that 
that link you mentioned between others and, and feeling the, the weaving in between, I think that's something you, I, I know I tap into when I, when I can have a, a moment like that and really focus. Uh, so thank you. That was really, really nourishing. I'll call it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I know with your work and being a neuroscientist, I think the most like what I what I'm most interested in today, I think, is is um really learning more about knowing the neuroscience of what's really going on behind the scenes when we are attention training like that in a in a practice. And I know that's been a lot of focus of your work where really studying the brain and understanding those differences that can be that, that can be seen on a on a for example, an MRI scan, right? Where there are changes in, in what you see. And can you just share a little bit about, um, you know, what it, what it is that you are doing in that field? Because it's so new. There's not a lot of, of experts in it, I don't think, at the moment. I know it's growing. We can begin with kind of the remarkable fact that when we engage in these very simple practices like we just did, to nurture our mind and cultivate these positive qualities, uh, our brains change. They change both functionally as well as remarkably structurally too. Um, uh, and uh, this is something that's now been observed many, many times. Uh, the, uh, the details in many ways are still being worked out, but uh, here are a few of the things that we've discovered. First, uh, what we've discovered is that different kinds of meditation practices like this have different effects on the brain. Uh, this is really not very surprising, uh, but you know it may be of interest to some to to hear this scientifically validated. And so, uh, we know, for example, that simple mindfulness practices differ from practices that are explicitly designed to cultivate um, kindness and compassion. Uh, even though they share some similarities, they also produce some differences in the brain. So that's one important element. A second element that's important is that um, the extent to which changes are observed uh, in many cases, in many studies, uh, seems to be associated with the length of practice, the extent to which a person is practicing. Um, and again, that's not so surprising, uh, but it's uh, of interest, I think, to see it empirically confirmed. Um, uh, and so uh, from this kind of evidence, uh, we can that practice seems to matter. And uh, in most cases, the more practice you do, uh, the greater the magnitude of impact that we see in the brain. Mm. Now, with regard to uh, uh, practices that specifically nurture kindness and compassion, one of the things that we see is that there are circuits in the brain that we know are important for perspective taking for empathy and for positive emotion, all of which uh, are strengthened by these practices. Uh, and 
uh, research shows that it actually doesn't take that much training to begin to see an objective um, change in the brain. Uh, whether those changes in the brain endure or not uh, is, of course, of great interest. Um, and uh, uh, you tend to see more enduring changes with more consistent practice. And so while it is possible to see a change in the brain with very short-term practice, uh, it is, and, and we've published data showing that um, a cumulative total of seven hours of practice over the course of two weeks is sufficient to produce a measurable functional change in the brain. Um, having seen that and said that, uh, we also know that in order for those changes to endure, in order for those changes to become the new baseline, so to speak, in order for there to be a true altered trait, more practice is required. Gotcha. So, so you said seven hours within two weeks, is that right? Yes, it's for the change. 30 minutes a day for for two weeks. 30 minutes a day. And then, so what is, what is it that you see as a result, like physically in the world, knowing my brain has maybe shifted a little bit, what are the results I would be expecting or could potentially benefit from? Can you give a couple examples? Sure. Um, so we, we've looked at this behaviorally as well, and uh, people tend to be uh, more altruistic, um, uh, more willing to share, uh, 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 they report higher levels of well-being. Uh, they show less uh, implicit bias, meaning that um, their in-group, so to speak, becomes larger and more inclusive. Um, those are some of the benefits that have been scientifically established. I love knowing what I could expect, and I and I know. Uh, well, I'm curious. What is your personal practice as a someone who studies this? Can you walk us through what you do and and what and and how long you are just an average on a typical day? I'm I'm I'd love to see what that looks like too. I've been at this for a long time. I've been practicing. Yeah, you're on the far end of this continuum, Mary. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I've been practicing for for more than forty years. My first meditation retreat was in 1974. Um, and so I've been practicing pretty much ever since. Uh, and, uh, you know, I practice every day. And my typical practice on a typical workday is, I would say, around 45 minutes. Um, and uh, I do a number of different kinds of practices that uh, uh, come from the uh, Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Uh, that include mm -hmm. awareness practices, compassion practices, uh, uh, and um, uh, other similar kinds of yeah. things. Similar to what we did, I think, in the beginning of our podcast. So yeah. mm -hmm. uh, those are those are great as, as examples, and and I like the idea of having a yeah, like having you share what you do. It's it's, it's possible we can all get there if we really wanted to practice, even if you're starting right now, I would say. And well, one of knowing the things, you're on that. 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I often say is that when human beings first evolved on this planet, none of us were brushing our teeth. And yet virtually every human being on the planet brushes their teeth now. And uh, this is a learned behavior. It's not part of our genome. Um, and we do this because we recognize that it is important for our personal physical hygiene. Uh, we believe that our minds may even be more important than our teeth. And if we nurtured our <laughs> mind for even as short a time as we brush our teeth every day, my conviction is that this world would be a very different place. Oh, uh, yeah. I uh, yeah, I, I like that. It, it, that's a great analogy in terms of the teeth care. And actually, I know in my book, Pause, there's a, I call it mental flossing. So it's funny you say that because it, it, yeah. it is. I feel like it's like you're getting in the grooves of the gunk, you know, and you're getting conscious and learning more about what's happening for you and that, and that awareness level. Uh, another question I have, so let's say uh, if I weren't, um, like maybe I just don't like to meditate and I'm, I've tried it and it's challenging and there's so many, I know I've, I've been in that space myself before I really just sat down and tried it, but are there other ways to cultivate this if I don't have a meditation practice? Let's say I want to just be really, I'm, I'm committed and dedicated towards changing my brain, but maybe that's just not for me in, the, in terms of a sit, sitting practice. What would you recommend or are there things to do that can, can that can keep us in that forward momentum in, in terms of changing our brains in the same way? What do you yeah, think? That's a, that's a really great and important question, Rachel, uh, deeply pondering over the last mm -hmm. several years. Uh, one of the things that uh, we believe is possible is that one can engage in these practices while you're engaged in other activities of daily living that don't that are not sitting. So you don't have to do these as formal practices. Um, you can do this while you're commuting, while you're um, uh, you know, on, uh, on a bus. You can do this as you're walking. You can do this when you're doing physical exercise. You can do this when you're washing dishes, cleaning your house, standing in a line. Um, there are so many opportunities in everyday life during which we are not um, engaged in cognitively demanding other activities uh, where we can practice this sort of thing. Uh, and so uh, we don't know from a hard-nosed scientific perspective at this point in time, the extent to which these active practices um, may produce the same benefit as more formal meditation practices. But um, from everything we've been able to glean so far, uh, I think that uh, these active practices can really be very, very beneficial. And so we actually have developed a, um, we have an initiative in our center called the Healthy Minds Initiative that in part involves the development of an app to teach people uh, some of the practices in four of the major pillars of well being. Um, and uh, we, uh, allow people in, who use this app to engage with it in many different ways. And it's possible to do all this training without ever meditating for even one minute. Mm, um, that's exciting. Uh, it's possible to do this as you're engaged in other activities of daily living. 
And so we uh, strongly believe it's possible. And um, uh, we have the aspiration to uh, collect scientific data on it as um, we roll this out. Knowing that, tell us a little bit more about the app. How could I get it or help our listeners learn more? Because I, I don't know if you're launching it yet, but where are you with that? Well, before I talk about the app, I, I need to say very briefly a little bit about the four pillars or constituents of well-being. Which that was my other question. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. From, uh, from which this is, um, this is built. So the four pillars of well-being are these. The first is awareness. Uh, and that would include mindfulness. It also includes the essential component we call meta-awareness, which is uh, knowing what your mind is doing, uh, the faculty of monitoring. Um, the second pillar is connection. And connection refers to those qualities that nurture positive social relationships, qualities like appreciation and kindness, um, having a positive outlook. The third pillar we call insight, and this is about self-knowledge. It's insight into the narrative of ourselves. We all have this narrative that we carry around. Uh, and in, the, in one, extreme, um, uh, uh, one extreme end, there are people who have a very negative self-narrative, who have a lot of negative self-beliefs, and who actually hold these beliefs to be a true description of who they are. And of course, that is a prescription for depression. And so part of uh, human flourishing is having a healthy relationship to this narrative and really understanding it for what it is at a deep experiential level. And what it is, is a constellation of thoughts. Um, and then finally, the last pillar of well-being is purpose. And uh, here, research has established that having a true north that extends beyond the self um, uh, and involves uh, 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 others or, um, uh, 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 or uh, other objects is really something critical for well-being. Uh, and one of the key elements here is how our everyday behavior is aligned with our sense of purpose. So to what extent is more and more of our daily activities part of our sense of purpose? Can you find a place in yourself where even something as seemingly um, menial as taking out the garbage is part of you, who you are. It's part of your sense of purpose. Um, yeah. Uh, and so uh, those are the four pillars of well-being. There are, there's a lot of scientific evidence around each pillar, uh, and there are specific practices which can be done either as formal meditation practices or as active practices while you're out and about in the world to nurture these um, pillars. And so our app is based upon this framework. Uh, and it includes scientific information about uh, each of these four components. It also includes um, specific practices to nurture each of these components. Uh, the more information about it can be gleaned from our website, uh, and uh, listeners can go to 
uh, our Center for Healthy Minds, um, where uh, uh, information about this can be found. Uh, we are not um, distributing the app to the general public at this point in time. The app is being uh, distributed to organizations, and we initially created a version for the workplace setting, but we are creating versions for different sectors and age groups. And um, uh, we will be disseminating this uh, sort of in a step, step-by-step -step fashion. Um, I should say that when we typically do disseminate it, it's accompanied by some in-person component too. There's some in-person in touch points, which we think are gonna be important. Um, um, but this is sort of the core of it. I am excited to have it at some point learning like in my hands to, to see it because I know I've been hearing about it for a while now. And I think what you're incorporating with these four pillars is so important. And I know well-being is such a, it's a term that I think means so many different things to so many different people. Some people think it's maybe a more happiness angle, but the way that you're incorporating a spectrum, including awareness, connection, insight, and I think really importantly, purpose, where it's living purposefully, whether you're taking out the trash and like knowing this is serving you. Uh, I've learned a lot about that recently, and it's just so powerful. So thank you for the work that you're doing and, and just putting that into a digital capacity. And then, like you said, this, I imagine that the human component of it is important as well as much as the others. Uh, but to have that being harnessed in a, a way that's capturing the data, my guess is that's, that's pretty profound in, in terms of what it can mean and, and what we can synthesize from it. So I'm excited to continue to learn more. And I'll put in the show notes the link to your site and how to get more information and, and things like Great. that for sure. Thank you. In your definition, is well-being those four things that you mentioned and, and that are also in this in this app that you're building? Well-being is uh, are these four components, and it's not necessarily happiness. Uh, you know, I've seen right. the Dalai Lama cry in response to a tragic event, and he was deeply sad. Yet he maintains mm -hmm. very high levels of well-being. So the idea that well-being is equated with happiness, I think, is um, uh, is not right. It's uh, uh, and I think there are many good examples of yeah. um, of times when we're not happy, but we still can have high levels of well-being. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree. And you mentioned flourishing, which I think is really more of the heart of living a good life and and an extraordinary life. And I feel like that's what we're really coming for right when we're when we're wanting to feel purposeful and and have that well-being and uh and i think i i'll speak for myself i know to me happiness was really just equating it in in, in my prior years so it's really learning about being aware to the things that we all think of happiness getting the house and the relationship we want and all these real external things and and uh to your point, I think the well-being really is much deeper, and it ha and and what I like to think about is like happiness is the byproduct of that, right? Like it happens when these other things happen, and it's it's there, and as well as as well as the aliveness that can be cultivated, like you saw with the Dalai Lama crying and tap into yourself so you can really thrive mm -hmm. and live purposefully. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's beautiful in terms of what you're what you're working on. 
what do you do for your own transformation? What, can you tell us a little bit about how, what potential practice is? Is it, is it the meditation and is there other things? Or, well, I, you know, I, I, I attribute whatever um, little modest uh, uh, increments in my own uh, evolution and flourishing to uh, my, my meditation practice largely. Uh, uh, and I, uh, in, in addition to my daily practice, uh, I typically do about a month of retreat every year. Um, it's divided into uh, uh, a couple of segments, but um, uh, I do at least one month of uh, uh, much more intensive retreat, physical exercise on a regular basis, which I think is helpful and important. Uh, and so, yeah, those are the key elements for me. Good to hear what everyone is doing out there. What are you most proud of in terms of your work and, and what, you've, what you've done in the world? What really warms my heart is when I hear people say that uh, they've begun a regular practice because uh, they've been moved by the work that we've done and the science suggesting the, um, the value of this. Um, uh, and to see... Uh, a larger swath of the population engaging in these practices is really heartening. Um, uh, you know, according to the latest data available in the United States, uh, reliable survey data, um, almost 20% of the U.S. population um, indicates that uh, they use meditation at least once a week uh, on a regular basis. Um, and that's about 46 million people. Uh, and it didn't used to be that way. Uh, and That's encouraging. That's amazing. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Well, those, they're published data showing that, reporting that. So, uh, you know, it's heartening to see that uh, the work we're doing, you know, has played uh, some role in encouraging people to uh, take their minds their own minds more seriously, and to recognize that they can shape their own brains by transforming their minds. Yes, and I want to reiterate that point, that last point again. We can all reshape our brains. It's just a matter of what are you willing to be for yourself and, and dedicate towards a practice, and it can happen. And uh, and then when that does, it's remarkable, but we have to do it. Each of us has to take that, I'll call it personal responsibility. And it's almost a requirement in our human existence to transform, right? Like that's what I, I take away. And, and, and you're doing incredible work on the, on the end of the scientific front to know this works and to have that statistic be a reality where we're just going to continue to grow in terms of numbers, ideally, hopefully, uh, with people who are being more aware that they can cultivate the mind that they want, no matter how they were born, no matter what their family world was like, no matter what their limiting beliefs are. And uh, that is that is true inspiration for me and hopefully others as well. So is there anything else that you want to add and, and where can people go to find out more about you? I think we've covered a good range. And uh, if anyone yeah. wishes to learn more about our work, uh, I would encourage them to please find us uh, on our website, 
Uh, it's the Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and the website is centerhealthyminds.org. And uh, I want to also just express my appreciation to you, Rachel, for um, for all of your work and for bringing uh, attention to so many uh, of your followers to the importance of uh, nurturing these qualities that we all have in ourselves, but uh, that require cultivation. Mm. I can't say it any better than that. So thank you so much, Richie. It's an honor to have you on the program. I just want to express my gratitude on uh, on your powerful messages today and your great work in the world. Keep going. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening today. I'm Rachel O'Mara, the author of Pause, Harnessing the Life-Changing Power of Giving Yourself a Break. Now that you've had a chance to listen to the Pause cast, I want to invite you to continue the conversation and join the private Facebook group, Be The Pause. You can search for it on Facebook or go to facebook.com slash groups slash Be The Pause. It's also in the podcast notes for this episode. Also, if you are struggling with overwhelm or being stressed out at work and you're not really sure what to do next, I invite you to download the free guidebook for the three keys to turn overwhelm into thriving at work. This is on my website, rachelomero.com, and you can download it there today. See you soon.